Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. And we're live. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And excuse my voice, I'm just getting over a, uh, a severe cold. Uh, but I'm still excited to be here today uh, with Pastor Wesley Thompson. Um, I met Wesley uh, unofficially at the Academy of Preachers. And if you listen uh, regularly, you know, I, I talk about my experience and how it was such a rich experience. And if you get a chance, please go to the 2018 Academy of Preachers Festival. It's going to be in Atlanta again. It was Atlanta in 2013. And um, so, yeah, that's how kind of I unofficially met Wesley Thompson. But I kind of know him through Facebook and Matthew Brantley, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, shout out to Matthew. Um but without further ado, uh, our special guest today is Pastor Wesley Thompson. Welcome, Wesley. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, and yes, got to give a shout out to our, our AOP uh, fellow members. And uh, while we're on that, want to wish a, um, a hearty thank you and congrats um, to uh, Dr. Dwight Moody, who, of course, uh, I'm sure you know, has handed over the reins of the organization to uh, our good friend, Ernest Brooks, and uh, we just want to thank Dwight for his vision and uh, definitely giving us the opportunity to uh, be a part of such a great organization. Yes, awesome. I, uh, uh, Dwight was actually on the podcast uh, a year ago, um, so we'll have to have uh, the new president on, uh, Brooke, uh, Dr. Brooks, on um, now to kind of talk about the transition. Um, hopefully I can get him scheduled on here. Um, so the, what we're going to be talking about today is your new book and um, the issue of suffering. And it's something that I know that ha you have experienced and have um, a lot to say about. Um, what led you, first of all, for those who don't know who you are, I want to give you an opportunity to give uh, introduction and some background and also talk about uh, what led you to write the book? Is it In Sickness and in Health? Yes, In Sickness and in Health, a story of love, strength, and faith. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so if you would tell us a, about a little bit of background and also tell us about uh, what led you to write the book. Okay, awesome. So um, as Lisa had, had uh, noted that um, we met through AOP, and uh, at that time I was living in Atlanta. I'm, I'm originally from Florence, Alabama, um, grew up there and went to the University of North Alabama where I received my bachelor's degree and then moved to Atlanta to attend Mercy University McAfee School of Theology to uh, pursue and receive my MDiv. And uh, my wife, uh, Latanja Thompson, we met at the University of North Alabama and, and got married in 2013 and she moved to Atlanta, of course. Um, so I graduated from McAfee in 2014. Uh, when she moved to Atlanta, she eventually found a, a great job and uh, both of us being from small towns in Alabama, we were slowly but surely becoming acclimated to the metro big city of Atlanta. Um, but things were really um, um, on the come up for us. After I graduated, about a year and a half later, um, some things were really happening in my, both my ministry as I was serving as a youth pastor there at New Calvary Missionary Baptist Church. I had just um, got hired as an adjunct professor for one of the local universities to teach uh, religion classes. 
my wife Tandra, who has a master's in social work, uh, she had just got a job in a field she'd been inspiring, hoping to work in, which is grief counseling. Uh, and it's one of those things where life was finally there for us. You know, we 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 met each other while I was a a sophomore, and she was a junior uh, in in undergrad. And at that particular moment, uh, while we we're in Atlanta, and these these things are happening to us professionally, it's like we're 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 finally reached our grown adult status <laughs> uh, as a married <laughs> couple, as individuals, because of our careers taking off. And there was one thing missing. Um, everyone who who loved us and have known us, they always would ask, "When are y'all gonna have kids?" And my answer would be, um, "Whenever God says I'm ready to have kids." But I'm not trying to have any any soon. <laughs> but uh, God did bless us to become pregnant um, in June 2015. Once again, right at the same time when all of these great things are happening for us uh, professionally and career-wise, individually. So we're very excited. Um, a few people we told at the time, they're very excited and we're just, we're just looking forward to our future. You know, as one of our, our friends called, call us jokingly, but she was for real. The power couple is finally about to uh, bring a child into the world. Um, so things are on the come up, things are looking promising. And all of a sudden my wife becomes very ill. I can give you the exact date. It was August 25th. 2015, uh, we're about two and a half months pregnant at that time, and I have no idea what's going on. All I see is that she's, you can, I can just see that that she's not well. So I call uh, some doctors, and they suggest that I, I take her to the ER, in which I do. And uh, Lisa, when I took her to the ER that night on August 25th, I assumed that she'll get checked out, she'll get some medicine, we'll be home late at night, had to get up early and not get much sleep because we'll both have to be at work the next morning. Uh, but little did I know is that when I took her to the ER that night on August 25th, 2015, we would not leave the hospital for until four months later on December 31st, uh, 2015. Um, so she's in the hospital and um, they have no idea what's going on. Um, her blood pressure, her heart rate are fluctuating. Um, she's exhibiting some 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 behavior that's 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 not usual for her, and all of a sudden she starts having seizures, and these seizures that she's having are so severe um, that after she had about her second or third one, the doctors decided to um, put her in medically induced coma to to intubate her because they were wanting to pr protect her airwaves just in case another seizure happened and her airways became shut off. So um, they put her in medically induced coma. Um, there was one moment that I write about in the book in which I'll get to here in just a second, um, that I'm standing at the foot of her bed. At the time, I'm 26 years old. She's 28 years old. We're just two and a half years into our marriage. We're two and a half months pregnant. And I'm looking at her, not being able to speak to her, not being able to see her, her not being, being able to speak to me, her not being able to see me, to hear me. And I asked God, how come I'm looking at my 28-year-old pregnant wife on a ventilator in the ICU? And that was something that we'll get to in this conversation as far as we speak for suffering. I, I'll, I'll get to um, how God responded to me. Uh, but just to go on as far as what she went through, um, we had to transfer her to another hospital 
um, just so they can do some more aggressive treatments. They were a little bit more experienced in, in what she will end up um, being diagnosed with, which is a rare brain disorder uh, entitled anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. Try saying that four times in a row. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it took me some time to uh, to say that without stumbling. I'll say it one more time, anti NMDA receptor encephalitis, a very, very rare brain disorder, which was actually first diagnosed in 2007. Um, at the time, and probably still so, only about a thousand cases um, diagnosed nationwide. Um, so it was very rare. And the hospital she was at, which I don't mind giving a shout out to, Emory University Hospital there in Atlanta, which all of you who are familiar with Emory know is one of the top notch research hospitals in the country. Uh, they themselves had only dealt with about 10 cases of this. So it was good to know that they had experience with it. But what made my wife's situation so rare was that she was pregnant. So mind you, she's she's on a ventilator. Um, blood pressure, heart rate is all over the place. All these things are happening. And oh, yeah, she's pregnant. <laughs> uh, so Emory had never dealt with a pregnant case before. They reached out to um, some of their other um, colleagues and hospitals across the country, and uh, they could only find four case studies ever um, where somebody had this disorder and was pregnant. So they did not give them much um, to go off as far as her treatment. So uh, they kind of just wing it, and um, thankfully they, they, they end up winging it in a good way um, and treating her because the treatment uh, causes for steroids, plasma transfusions, and um, extreme chemo treatments in which they could not do any of that the way they needed to uh, because of the pregnancy. Um, so I found myself being faced with a decision in which I write about in the book um, where I had to make the choice to either give them the okay to give her the chemo and the other treatments with the risk of causing harm to the pregnancy, causing deformities to the baby if the baby would make it, or to abort the pregnancy, of course, for medical reasons. And that was something I really struggled with. Um, it was something that <laughs> I did not want to make that decision on my own. Um, my wife and I had always had the relationship and the marriage in which we were a tag team. Any decision, especially important decision made uh, for about the household was made mutually. We discussed it. We sat down. We talked about it. Uh, what made this decision rough was that <laughs> I did not have her to help me make this decision. Um, she's intubated. She's unresponsive. So not only did I have to make this tough decision by myself, but it's also a decision I'm making about her body. And that made it even worse for me to, to make it. But I, um, I spoke to God once again, which we'll get to as far as this suffering. And uh, what I ended up deciding, uh, what I felt God telling me was I, I got this. We'll take care of this. So we went, I went on and made the decision for them to go ahead and treat her uh, with the chemotherapy and the plasma transfusions and the steroids. And um, they end up having to bring the baby early at 28 weeks. She stayed on the ventilator for about a month and a half from about August 30th to October 10th. Um, and when she became alert, when they did wake her up, the symptoms of the disorder were still displayed heavily. So they decided to, even though they were giving her the chemo and the other treatments at the time, uh, it was not enough. And they knew if they wanted to go more aggressively, the baby could not, <laughs> it, could, it, 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 can, it, it would be not a question of if, but uh, it would be when the baby has issues, when the pregnancy has issues. 
So uh, we waited till the baby was 28 weeks. That's when the OBGYN felt like it was more safe for um, the baby to, to come early. So they did emergency section at 28 weeks, December 3rd, 2015, brought the baby here. After that, they did uh, the aggressive treatment like they wanted to, and she, she became better, um, had a, a hiccup, uh, a relapse there toward the end of December, but we got over that, and uh, she came home December 31st. Um, and what prompted me to write the book was within those four months of being in the hospital. Of course, anybody who knows um, when you're in the hospital, you're gonna get a lot of phone calls, you're gonna get a lot of text messages, and I got that times 10 and it was it was quite rough on me. I could not respond to anybody. In fact, it got to the point where my phone overloaded and shut and shut down. So I decided in, to write a blog. I had never wrote a blog before. And the purpose of the blog was twofold for me to kind of just get some things off my heart, off my chest um, in written form and to also let everybody know what's going on, because even though she was in the hospital those first two, three weeks, I did not let everybody know because I was just sure that things would get better. But when I saw that things were not going to get better, I knew there were too many people who cared about us, who loved us, who needed to know. So I wrote a blog um, to send out to the masses so that everybody would know what's going on. There would be no need for me to respond to each text, to each call individually. And when I sent out this first blog, which was ironically entitled In Sickness and In Health, um, it took off on social media. Um, People shared it. Um, I, I can't. I want to say it was that was a couple of thousand, couple of thousand shares on Facebook, and people who, even though the reason of for me to write the blog was to pretty much inform everyone what's going on, what they ended up doing was inspiring, um, just as much as informing, because I really opened up about my love for my wife, about what she was going through, about what I was dealing with. And um, I, I wrote a couple of more blogs just um, chronicling everything that we were going through while in the hospital. And those took off as well and became uh, very public. And somebody had told me, well, quite a few people told me, you should really write a book. Um, and as far as the book, In Sickness and the Health, The Story of Love, Strength, and Faith, um, that's what prompted me to write it, just seeing um, the, the inspiration that my blogs gave to people and even in those blogs, I only write about things that were really on surface. So in the book, I really go into detail, not particularly about her medical case, but really what I went through as a man, as a young husband, uh, as a soon-to-be father, and as a pastor. Those are the four main audiences this book speaks to um, as a young husband, because when you say in sickness and health at the altar, you mean it. I'm sure everybody means it. I meant it. But I'm sure I'm not the only one um, who thinks this when I say, when I said that vow and I said I do, I'm imagining having to face that vow when we're 70, 80, 90, 90 years old. I had no idea what I would have to face that vow at 26, just a few years later. Um, so it really is it's a book that encourages young couples, um, well, all couples, but particularly young couples who are thinking about getting married or who are married uh, recently. Um, as a man, I really opened up about my vulnerability. Uh, before I, I, I was an emotional brick wall, but that was torn down to pieces going through this situation, which I write about in the book um, as a soon to be father making decisions like the one I just I just explained to you all as far as keeping the pregnancy. And as a pastor, for those of us in ministry who is our job, is our <laughs> everyday duty and obligation and calls to give 
and speak hope and peace and comfort and encouragement to individuals when you find yourself on the other side of that when you have nothing to give because you need it all uh, i really speak about how i had to be in that unusual situation that's awesome that's an awesome testimony um and i think um so many people uh would be inspired by that story and encouraged because there are so many people facing very difficult situations in life and to be a a, a, a a faith leader, a pastor in that moment really brings things uh, kind of, it takes it from a message to like, this is what I experienced. And I, I, I saw in an article you had recently, you talked about how it took it from like, I'm just saying God is a healer to now mm -hmm. I know God is a healer. Right. I know God is a healer. Some things I, I said about him that I believe, but now I know about it because I've experienced. And I think that is so powerful um, because in your in your case, suffering drew you closer to God. And in many cases, suffering draws people away from God. Or is there a reason why they say they can't believe in God? Because if God exists, why did this bad thing happen? Yes. Um, why did God allow uh, a young man who is seeking God and a young woman who is seeking God and trying to do the right things, um, kind of dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And there are so many other people who are quote unquote menace to society that this <laughs> could happen to, but it happened to the people that we would deem to be the ones that we would aspire to be like the, the power couples. How could that happen? Um, how did you navigate through that space? Were there times where you, where you were angry with God? I remember reading a blog, the first blog I read by you, I think Matthew posted it and you were saying you were standing, going into the hospital, trying to decide whether you were going to uh, ICU or NICU. I think something yes. like that. Yes. That was around Christmas. Yeah, and you were angry at God because you're like, it's Christmas time. I should be with my family, and I'm in the hospital trying to decide who do I go see first my my newborn baby who's in in intensive care or my wife who's in intensive care, and that wrestling with that. And I thought that was such a powerful blog because you were kind of venting. You didn't have all the answers, but you were trying to get that get that frustration out. Yes, um, yeah, that that particular moment. I'm and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I even though I, that, I write about that in the book, but. Um, that was a very, very, very rough occasion for me. Um, as I mentioned, as I was just um, telling you and telling you all about what she went through, she was discharged December 21st, um, first discharge, or actually a second discharge. And we went home. I'm hopeful. I'm happy. It's four days on Christmas. I'm saying, yes, I get to spend Christmas with my wife at home. Maybe we can travel back to Alabama, spend time, spend time with family if she's, um, you know, well enough. And when we got home, no more than 10, 15 minutes later, she had another seizure. And just as quick as we were home, we were right back in the hospital. It was kind of, it was a relapse. Um, it was stage one all over again. They had to put on a ventilator. So I spent Christmas Day 2015 um, at Emory University Hospital Neuro ICU Unit all day my wife there um, on a ventilator and I didn't want to be anywhere else. And I write about that as far as that night before Christmas Eve, because mind you, my son, like I said, was born December 3rd, born at 28 weeks. And he went through a few, a few minor things, but he, because he was so premature, they had him in the NICU. So yes, I, I do write about that that night. I can remember it vividly where I walked through the hospital late at night um, because I went out to get something to eat. And um, just like most hospitals, they have a security check-in at night where they you have to 
check in before you go to the hospital. And I told the security guard, I'm here to uh, see my son who's in the NICU. And the way that Amory set up, if you go to the main entrance, you make a left to go to the NICU. And where my wife was, you make a right. And when I told the security guard that, she she cleared me. And I decided, even though I told her I was going to the NICU, I decided to just go ahead and see my wife first. So I made the right. And the security guard stopped me and said, sir, the NICU this way. And I responded to her, well, my wife is in the ICU as well. So I'm going to go see her first. And she, she gave me the okay. And I found myself very upset. I was I was upset, not so much with the security guard, but I was upset that the fact I had to give her that answer, um, the fact that I just had to explain to her, I have to go see my wife who's on one side of the hospital in the neuro ICU before I go see my son, who I just told you about, who's in the, who's on the other side of the hospital in the neonatal ICU on Christmas Eve. Um, mind you, this is our first child. Um, this is supposedly, quote unquote, our first Christmas as a family. And I'm spending it in the hospital with a wife who can't see me or hear me. And a son who was just born in 28 weeks and is still going through some pretty tough health challenges himself. And I'm by myself in this huge hospital, which is pretty empty for the most part. It's not as um, busy even at night as usual because of Christmas Eve. And um, I struggle with that heavily. Um, and just in the whole four months was a struggle. You're right. There are some people who go through things such, such as uh, I like I did. And it does draw them away from God. And I'll be honest with you, Lisa, and I'll be honest with everybody here. I think everyone can get what I'm saying when I say this. Going through that situation and looking back on it. I can see why at times how people can stray away from God. I'm just being honest. I hate that it happened. Um, of course, there's individuals like that that you want to reach out to, that you want to hug on, that you want to love on, that you want to tell them, don't don't, don't give up. But man, until you've been in the, their shoes, <laughs> uh, until you've been in their situation, the psyche that somebody who's going through that is in, the emotional state um, that they're in, it's not so much that maybe they're giving up on God. It's just that they have nothing left to 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 believe in, including God. And I found myself at times on the verge of that. Um, I had the tough conversation with God at the at, at the foot of her bed when they put on a ventilator. I write about this in the book. That particular night was rough because um, it was the, the, the night that or the, they put on the ventilator that earlier that day. Um, I told family and friends what they were doing. Um, and they came. So when they were at the hospital, I was so busy, you know, attending to them as far as having conversation, giving them updates. It really didn't. I really didn't have time to let that sink in that my wife, who's never had any health challenges, mind you, before this is on a ventilator. Um, it's on a machine helping her breathe. And that night, it, later on that night, when all the family were gone, all the friends were gone, that's when I found myself in her room. And uh, I said, I asked God, God, why is my 28 year old wife, pregnant wife um, on a ventilator? And uh, I was reminded of a scripture that I, I preached before uh, John chapter 11, uh, when Mary and Martha sent word to Lazarus, or excuse me, to Jesus, 
that Lazarus was sick. And the text says that uh, Jesus remained where he was for two days, um, a few days. And he, he, he told the disciples that this sickness would not be unto death, but that the Son of God should get the glory out of it. Uh, and that was the response that God gave me at that moment. I didn't hear a voice. There wasn't this bright light from the sky that shone down from the hospital ceiling into the room. But that was just was in my heart. I felt it in my heart. It was it was it was what what how God responded to me through God's word, telling me you are seeing a mighty, powerful sickness in front of you right now. But I promise you, son, that this sickness is not going to end in death and that at the end of the day, um, I will get the glory out of it. And um, looking back on it almost two years later, because next month will mark two years since all of this happened. <laughs> I am uh, beginning to finally see uh, that glory be fulfilled. Um, and it's easy to smile about that now, two years later. But even when you hear that at the time, it doesn't make things easier for you. Uh, it doesn't make you smile. It doesn't make you, you know, um, joyous because you're still within the suffering. Uh, you're still within the pain. You're, you're still within the hurt. And what makes that suffering even worse at times is when you do get a feel like you have a response from God, God telling you, you know, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I found myself at times, okay, well, if, that's, if that's the case, God, make it okay right now. <laughs> you know, why am I still here? If it's going to be okay, why am I still here in this hospital? If it's going to be okay, why am I continuing making these tough decisions? If it's going to be okay, uh, why does it look like it's not going to be okay? And there were times when my faith got very weak. Um, the subtitle for this book, the title is In Sickness and Health. The subtitle is A Story of Love, Strength, and Faith. And um, it's a book that if you pick up and read it, I guarantee you, you are going to see the vulnerability of a pastor. Um, I thank God for individuals like you, who I'm sure I, I can say this without you directly telling me and, uh, and other other individuals who are in this calling of ministry that we have, that um, we are not afraid to admit our our struggles, our pains, um, our emotional roller coasters. But there are some of our colleagues who will <laughs> put on this act or this, this uh, display or this facade as if. Um, you know, their lives, because they're called, their lives are untouchable. You know, they're, 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 they're not phased by anything. You know, they're, they're not afraid to admit that things happen, but they'll admit that when things happen, they just have this superhero, supernatural faith and that they're going to trust in God and nothing is going to bring them down. Well, power to them. <laughs> power to them. And, then, and I, I mean that in the most sincere, genuine way. If there are individuals out there who who I put it to you like this, who have gone through things and have exhibited their faith. I don't want to hear the ones who say, well, if something happened, this is what I would do. Let something happen first. <laughs> um, <laughs> but power to you. And, and I, I, I truly do um, um, uh, commend you. But I'm I'm not afraid to admit um, I struggled. My faith got weak. Um, I, I didn't I didn't know where I where my relationship with God was at times. Um, at times I felt like a relationship did not exist because I was so uh, I was so so involved in what I saw every single day uh, with my wife being ill. Um, 
that it 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 put me in a in a mindset in a, in a, in a place emotionally and spiritually where I honestly just felt numb. Um, but I thank God that the foundation of faith my family gave my my church family gave me um, it, it stood its ground. Um, I tell people all the time. A lot of people ask me how. How did you survive that? How did you stand? How did you not go crazy? And I, I tell them, I, I, I'm, I'm honest. I have no idea, <laughs> uh, honestly. Um, but when I, when I really think about that question, the answer I feel like I, I is, is, I can truly give is my foundation of faith. Even though it got weak, uh, even though it, it, at times it was, it was, it was questioned, um, there was still something there, just a tad bit, just enough. Uh, for me to get by each day and to get by those four months. That's that's very, very powerful. And I think it's something, I think your honesty and transparency will help a lot of people because that's one of the things that I think frees us and helps us get through uh, suffering and get through hard times and get through our questions is when we're able to be honest uh, about our frustrations, about our pain. Uh, I, I speak openly about times where you know, I had situations happen and you, I get, I got mad with God. And I think that's important for us to be able to say, like, God can handle our anger. He knows what's in our heart already. Yes. We, can t- we can tell God, I'm mad at the fact that you did this. I don't understand why you did. That's when we have our most authentic prayers. And that's when our relationship yep. is strengthened, where we're able to admit our frustrations, our anger, our pain to him and cast those cares unto him. And I only tell other people uh, tell God that we're mad at him, be able to tell other people, hey, I'm mad at God about this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think that's where the freedom comes um, in those in those moments. Um, was that critical for you um, to be able to 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 vent? It was. It was. And, and, and kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, the fact that we are able to do that, if we choose to do that, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you Growing up in a traditional Black Baptist church in the South, you know, it was always kind of sometimes directly said, but if not directly said, indirectly said, you know, don't question God, you know, don't 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 come at God and uh, you know with anger or or or, or mad, you know. This in a sense, I'll be honest, they, I, that can be said in a way that makes you think it's a sin or, 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 or blasphemous to, to, to question God or to, 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 uh, you know, be angry with God. But to me, it's the exact opposite. So the fact that you have the, well, some people will say the audacity to question God or to, to be angry with God to me signifies that you have a very close relationship with God, because think about it. Um, all of our relationships, both around us and above our relationship with, with, with God. Um, and with any relationship, married, friendship, relationship with a, a, a sibling, a family member, you are going to display emotions. <laughs> um, there's going to be positive emotions you display. There are going to be negative emotions you display because you're in relationship. And the thing about displaying emotions, you don't display emotions to someone you don't care about. Um, there are some people that, um, you know, they do something or say something that could get you upset if you actually cared about the person or if you cared about the situation, but you're not faced by it. It's only individuals that you you love, that you care about, 
that you're in true relationship with where if something happens once again either either good or bad that you're going to respond emotionally whether positive or negatively well what isn't the biggest relationship we're supposed to have with anyone with god mm -hmm. if we respond with our in our other relationships with emotion then why are we not supposed to respond emotionally in the in the biggest relationship we're supposed to have with anybody uh, which is god and as you said god is big enough to to handle our, ang our anger jesus christ himself said on the cross uh, father why hast thou forsaken me um and i think all of us have had those those cross moments <laughs> uh where we ask god god what are you you why are you doing this why or not so much why are you doing this and that's that's another thing i had to kind of get through is god doing this or is god just allowing this to happen so there's a staunch difference um and i wasn't sure um at the time um and it is something I, I i'm still not really sure <laughs> at the time and maybe something god will will reveal to me um but as we we were speaking of this this topic of, of 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 suffering i can truly say that looking back on it it's made me a better person um it's made me a better preacher now that i'm pastoring it's made me a better pastor i had a conversation with one of my deacons at my church in atlanta deacon james merrick god rest his soul he just passed away about a year and a half two years ago um very wise deacon and uh me and him will have a lot of <laughs> a lot of friendly ecclesi ecclesiastical or uh, theological debates about different things um and one of those things was i remember not too long before he died had a conversation about churches giving young preachers opportunities to pastor and i told him you know myself and some of my other younger colleagues you know we we have the ability god has given us the anointing the gift um to pastor but a lot of churches uh kind of um, put us to the side because of our youth and his response was well you know that that you know that may be wrong in some cases because you know you all do have a, a gift and i know you yourself reverend thompson have the ability to pastor but he told me the reason churches kind of bypass young preachers is because they assume that a young preacher hasn't in his words experience life um, they haven't gone through anything and he said a lot of church members when they choose a pastor when they have a pastor they want a pastor who they know when they're pre when they're hearing their sermon or hearing their lesson they want to know that that pastor has experienced what he or she is talking about and now that i look back over this situation um, as you know, that I am a senior pastor now, just uh, newly elected to the Bethel Carpet Missionary Baptist Church in Leeton, Alabama, um, in May. I have been officially a senior pastor there for the past two or three weeks. I think about that conversation with Deacon Merritt a lot because I think that you know, before my wife's sickness, you know, I had already had my MDiv, and I knew pastoring was the ultimate goal. That was my aspiration. I knew that was God had called me to do, and. I would you know, go to interviews for uh, pastoral churches and be almost this close, but not quite naked. And now that I'm here, I believe I could talk to Deacon Mary today. I would tell him, you know what? I think you're onto something because this suffering that I went through with my wife uh, was, in his words, my experience 
um, that I, I will honestly say I needed uh, to help me get to this point of where I'm pastoring, because as you alluded to in the, the uh, newspaper article that you read, as I told the reporters there, it has made me a different, a better preacher, a better um, pastor. Um, when I do say things like God is a healer, I said that before all this happened and I meant it. I truly meant it. I said it out of belief. But now when I say it, <laughs> I say it out of experience. When I will say before all this happened that God will make a way out of no way, I truly meant it. But I said it out of belief. Now when I say it, I say it out of experience. And it it changes the dynamic of first of all, it just it changes you changes yourself, period, but it changes the dynamic and how you relay the word of God, how you relay uh, peace and comfort and encouragement and hope, faith to individuals, because as you're talking to them, when they're in their cross moments, where they're struggling with their suffering, um, and don't get me wrong, not every suffering is the same suffering, all suffering is different, but you can relate just a little bit. When I make visits to the hospital to somebody, I can relate because I was in the hospital for four straight months. Uh, when I see a, a a wife crying over a husband who's battling leukemia or some other uh, terminal disease, um, I can relate to those tears because I shed them in the hospital myself. So that suffering that I went through, um, don't get me wrong, if I turn if I could turn back the hands of time, I would not want to go through it again. <laughs> uh, but with that said, um, I take something away from it. And I don't want to use that language that God, you know, this was God's purpose. I don't even want to use the language so much that this was God's will, because I believe that there's some sufferings that are just so catastrophic, so, so horrible. Um, it makes you question, you know, they, they, could, they can't be the loving God that we know. Um, and even this situation, I, I still can't answer if this is something God did or something God allowed. But whichever one it is, what I will do um, and what I can do is take something away from it. Every storm, every battle, every fight, every suffering that you're in, uh, it may not have been for a purpose. It may not have been anything as far as God's will. But when you're able to look back on it, one thing you can do is take something away. I think that's what all of us have to try our best to do. You know, it might have beat you up. You might come out of it crazy and 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 and, and still hurt, still in pain, still in in wonder. But even with that, do your best to take something away from it because I promise you, there is something there that will help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of as you were talking. I think of David's words. Uh, it was good that I was afflicted. Mm. Uh, that I learn your, your precepts. And even thinking about what you were saying as far as being young leaders, I remember a pastor telling a story when he was younger in Chicago and he was preaching for Reverend L.K. Curry. And he said that he was talking about Daniel in the lion's den and he was 16 years old preaching and the whole, he had everybody shouting and Reverend Curry pulled him back in the office and said, that was all right, son, but <clears throat> you won't know that God can pull you out till God puts you in. Ooh. And <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's what you were, you articulated so well is that sometimes 
God puts us through things so we can be better communicators. Mm -hmm. He allows things so we can be more empathetic to other people's struggles um, because there's something about how you interact with people after you've been through what they've been through that you wouldn't, that, that is different um, from you saying that after you come from seminary and then, you know, in the ivory tower of, you know, <laughs> seminary, we know, we know things by head, but we haven't experienced them all the time in our hearts. And that, that's right. what life produces in us. Um, how, what would be your final thoughts to give someone who's potentially going through suffering right now that are thinking about walking away from God because of the intense suffering they're experiencing and how can um, folks get your book and contact and in contact with you on social media? Yes. If I had to say something to those individuals who's going through suffering, this is what I would say. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. You might be by yourself right now. And in those cases where you may be by yourself, it's not because it's by force. Because you want to be by yourself. You don't want to be bothered. You have a, a community of people who want to be there waiting on you hand and foot to help. But you don't want to hear anything. You don't want people asking you to, if you need something to eat. You don't want people asking you, do you need them to do this, do that. The only thing you want, the only thing you need is for your suffering to be over. What I will say to you is if you, like I say I'm traditional old school Baptist. That's the old saints say, if you just hold out just a little while longer, <laughs> um, they will end that, that statement with help is on the way. Um, I would like to rephrase that and tell you that that help is already here. Um, I know it's hard to see. I know it's hard to feel. But I guarantee you, help is already here. Um, and that's a faith thing. <laughs> you have to believe that out of faith. You have to say that out of faith. You have to proclaim that out of faith. But know this. You don't have to have a strong faith to say it. You can have a weak faith and still say it's going to get better. You can have a weak faith and still say, God, I know you got this. You can have a weak faith and still say and proclaim, God, I know you're able. Because everything I went through those four months, the majority of that time, as I said earlier, I'm not afraid to admit. Everything I believe, everything I said, everything I proclaimed, every decision I made, honestly, <laughs> out of a weak faith. But it was still a faith there nonetheless. And it was that weak faith that propelled me to be here two years later um, where my faith is stronger um, because of what I went through in that suffering. So I would just tell those individuals, um, you're not in it alone. Like I said, my suffering um, may not have been the same suffering you're going through right now, um, but I can relate just a little bit. And if you just stay strong, um, Hang in there. Allow, even though you're by yourself because you don't want those community of people to come in, because that's what I did. I shut people out at first. Uh, please allow them to come in. Allow them to help you. Take the help. Um, it's very important. Um, 
I did CPE while I was at McAfee. And at least I can tell you how many times it hurt me uh, to go into the room of a patient and they had no family there. <laughs> you asked them, what, do you have a support system? The answer was no, no friends, no family. They're there by themselves. Or you go into a room where you see one family member, maybe a spouse, um, and you ask the spouse, do you have a support system? And their answer is no, they're, they're in it by themselves, uh, not by choice, but by force. Um, I would say to anybody who's going through suffering, if you you don't have to be if you don't have to be by yourself, please don't be by yourself. Um, take the love, take the help. Um, it's very important uh, for you in the long run. Um, so, I'm. I hate to use this terminology, but it's it's true. I'm I'm proof and I'm evidence. Uh, my life is proof and evidence that um, when you stay faithful to God, even 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 if it's a weak faith in God through the most tumultuous uh, times of suffering. Um, in the end, in the end, God will turn things around. Um, I'll say this before I get the, the information on my book, and Lisa, I'm sure you know this because you saw it. One of the things that I write about in the book that I, I didn't say here, and there was so much I could have said about you know everything that we went through those four months, but get the book because <laughs> it's a lot. We'll have to be here for like four hours for me to say all of this. But another major decision I had to make um, was that the disorder she has is caused by a tumor that develops on one of the ovaries or both ovaries because it's a, it's a disorder that affects 90% women. Uh, in my wife's case, once again, a rare case in which she was pregnant, uh, the pregnancy is what caused the tumor to develop. And when they did the MRI scans and the PET scans, um, they could not see a tumor on either ovary. So when they did the C, or excuse me, yeah, when they did the C-section, the doctors went in with the intention to remove both ovaries um, because they were just under the, uh, the belief that they knew something had to be there. They just couldn't tell which ovary was on. So they thought it was so microscopic, they couldn't see it. Therefore, they would just have to remove both. And I had to sign off on that decision as well. Um, and that was something that I, I did not want to do. As I jokingly tell friends when I, I, I tell this story, um, I, was, I, I, was, I wasn't done with my dynasty yet. <laughs> you know, just one child. But, you know, one child is better than no children. There, there are some individuals who, for whatever reasons, health reasons or what have you, cannot have children at all. Um, so when I made the decision, even though it was tough, I was thankful for the one child I was about to have. Um, so when they delivered the C-section, they went in to um, remove both ovaries. They were able to spot with the visible eye uh, that the tumor was there on her right ovary. Therefore, they removed that one and um, left the other one in, which, of course, will give us the chance to um, reproduce again, in which we did. <laughs> Uh, we just had our second son this last Monday, so he's he's exactly a week old. Um, Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Um, and there's so there's so many great things happening now. Um, you know, I, I endured so many tough things, not only in those four months, but even a year after she got out of the hospital, it was tough trying to adjust to life with the with the recovery. Um, some things that we some moves we had to make. We had to move from Atlanta back home just to get some help. Um, some 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 things that I was I was hoping for for my life professionally and ministry wise did not happen, and so so many bad things happening. Just bad news after bad news after bad news, uh, and now I'm in this this new season, if you will, 
um, new church as a new pastor, a uh, new book that just came out and a new baby that the doctors you know, originally told us we wouldn't be able to have kids again. And now we've, we've, we've had another one, um, which I'm thankful for. So it's, it's definitely something that I uh, can say. And I've had people tell me this and, you know, I, I take it. And I believe it um, that because of my faithfulness, once again, me personally, weak faithfulness most of the time, but nevertheless, faithfulness to God uh, during that time, not only those four months in the hospital, but the time afterwards. Uh, I pray, I, I get a sense that this is what it is, but I uh, don't want to speak that just in case it isn't, but I pray um, that I'm in my, my season of, of God rewarding uh, that faithfulness with the things that are happening. So please get the book. It's a, it's a book that will bless you tremendously. Once again, the audiences I speak to are for couples, uh, married couples, young couples, old couples, um, no matter uh, where you fall in that category. It's for men. Uh, as a man, you will really be inspired by this book as I open up with the things I had to deal with just as a, as a man, period. For fathers and for pastors, those in ministry, it will help you. I'm, I'm looking. One, one of my main goals for this book is to really bless, once again, marriages. So um, marriage conferences, marriage retreats, those churches and pastors who have uh, ministries for, for marriage or premarital counseling, it will be a great resource to use. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. You can get the book at my website, wesleydthompson.com, or you can just go to Amazon, type in In Sickness and Health, Wesley Thompson. Uh, you should find it there, and I promise you, um, it's it's a blessing. It's 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 my story uh, to you all because I truly do believe that going through what I went through, what we went through, and um, seeing how God was able to uh, <laughs> uh, give us miracles within our misery, um, it's 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 too good not to share um, the goodness of God to let people who, as you said, who are in suffering, who are listening to this right now, um, see one of them, I'm sure, are, are millions of stories where people who are in suffering for the outcome of their suffering um, is something good and hopeful and not devastating and bad. Awesome. Well, thank you, Wesley, for your time. I think this has been a rich interview and that will encourage many people. And um, encourage and inspire and it's a it's a testimony um congratulations to you and your wife on your second child i mean that is such a testimony i can cue uh cue the shout music right there uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so thank you thank you thank you for your time i really appreciate it oh no problem lisa thank you for the invite well thank you for listening to another episode of the jew3 project podcast as always you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on itunes and google play by searching the jew3 project you can also get better equipped with our bible engagement app by searching the app store google play or apple app store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.